Welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth. This week, Pastor Ken and I discuss Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We also discuss what kind of king Jesus is for us. So this week on the podcast, we start a new series on the birth of Jesus, where we will examine the identity of this prophesied son by focusing on the birth and work of Jesus from distinctive perspectives of each of the four Gospels. This week, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Usually the beginning is a good place to start. And we're going to focus on a new beginning. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is usually one of the kind of chapters we skim through or skip over because most people don't like to read the genealogies. They don't find them interesting. But in the Jewish culture, they are very important. So, Pastor Ken, we started with verse 1 out of uh, Matthew chapter 1, and it reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we spent a good portion of the sermon in this verse, so let's do a, a quick recap of the big ideas there. Uh, we have his pedigree as Messiah. So what, what are those things that point to that he's the Messiah? Uh, I mean, specifically right there, right in that first verse, um, you have uh, Matthew tying Jesus right away with David and Abraham, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham, because you look at the promise that God had given to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 and then um, reiterates that promise in Genesis 22 that Abraham's going to be a blessing um, or out, out of Abraham will come a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Um, and then we know that that particular aspect of that covenant, that promise to Abraham uh, was not speaking about um, Israel um, because in Galatians 3, Paul uh, talks about the offspring uh, being singular, that the offspring refers to the Christ, the Messiah, um, who is Jesus. And right there, you even have his title. You know, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. <laughs> Christ is uh, is the title for, for anointed one, for Messiah. Um, so Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So you have Jesus as not just a son of Abra- Abraham, but the son of Abraham. And then also you have him as the son of David, because there was... And by the way, this phrase, the son of David, is um, a phrase that uh, Matthew uses more than all of the other gospel writers. I think he uses it ten times uh, in his gospel. And um, so during this time in Israel's history, the messianic expectation was of, of the people of Israel was that um, the Messiah was going to be in the line of David. Of course, um, there idea of what the Messiah was going to be, um, their expectations were uh, quite different from the kind of Messiah that Jesus came as. Um, You know, he came as Isaiah's suffering servant, and he will come again in glory as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, But uh, yeah, so so this this title, Son of David, um, goes to show that yeah, Jesus is um, not only a descendant of Abraham, who is the one who is going to fulfill the promise to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, obviously, um, you know, because with Jesus, salvation came to the Gentiles, um, but also a son of David, that he is the royal rightful heir to the throne of David, even uh, after 600 years of having nobody on the throne, that throne was vacant. 
and Jesus came and he ushered in um, that messianic uh, fulfillment. Um, so he is both the son of Abraham and the son of David. Right, that direct descendant. Yep. Now, one other thing that you pulled out of there that I really enjoyed was the Greek, the, the word for genealogy is actually the, the word Genesis. Yeah, so um, for the first century Jew listening to, to this, because, you know, they primarily would have been hearing this uh, read, they would have immediately when they heard the Genesis of uh, Jesus Christ, their minds would have went right back to the first book of the Bible. Genesis, you know, the story of the beginning. So in their minds, they would have thought, okay, this is, um, this is the start of something new. This is a new beginning. This is, you know, as, and then obviously with the prophet, a lot of the prophecies, this is the time of the new covenant. Um, so yeah, so that, the fact that that word is used there and also the, the ordering of the phrase, um, the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, oftentimes genealogies, you know, in this kind of uh, instance, a genealogy would typically start with Abraham. Um, so it would say the genealogy of Abraham because it would put the most important person up front, um, the prime person. And then it would show the descent. But here, Matthew is intentionally saying, no, this is the genesis, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, um, to show that uh, Jesus Christ is primary, that he is more important than and superior to every name to follow, including Abraham and David. And also pointing that he's first. He's the, the firstborn yep. of the dead. He, he is, you know, God's son. So there's, again, putting that in the proper order yep. of birth uh, in that respect. Exactly. Because while Jesus came to earth as a man, uh, he has always been. Uh, in the creation story, you know, it's let us make man in our uh, our image and our likeness. That's that's God talking in the Godhead there. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Um, not to throw out too big of a word, uh, but talking about Genesis, the chapter three, the proto evangelicum. Yeah, pr pr proto evangelium. Yep. The uh, in Genesis, Genesis three, first gospel, right? Um, and Carolyn, can you you have your Bible open? You want to. Flip to Genesis 3. Sure. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right. So that's, you know, the first gospel, as, as Caroline said. Um, you know, so who is who is God talking about? Who is this he that's going to, um, you know, crush the serpent? Well, we're so fortunate to live in the times we do, you know, post-New Testament, that we have the completed canon of Scripture that we could so easily see the connection, oh, that's the Messiah, and then we know the Messiah is Christ, so that's Jesus. So, yeah, that's the that's the first gospel right there in the mm -hmm. beginning, in the book of beginnings <laughs> that Jesus ushers in um, with his new beginning. So in this first section, we're talking about the genealogy of Jesus. There's a couple of names uh, that you, we might not be too familiar with in our reading of the Old Testament. Uh, Tamar. Uh, we, you explained a little bit about who she was in the sermon. If we can just do a quick recap of her part in, in this lineage. Verse 3, where it says, And Judah the father of uh, Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. So yes, yeah, so you're looking at Tamar there in verse 3. So Tamar was um, Judah's daughter-in-law. And that story was Judah is the you know, bitter deceitful older brother of Joseph. 
Uh, he's the one who was had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. And um, so some years later, he has kids. He's got three sons. And um, his oldest son's wife was Tamar. And obviously in that context, in that culture, um, because uh, women had very few rights and weren't viewed at with the same uh, dignity that uh, scripture views women as, it was so important for uh, a woman to, to be married, to have that, that protection, that provision from the husband. Um, so Tamar's husband dies and she's still, with, she's still without a kid. So Judah says, all right, well, you could have one of my other sons. He had two other sons. And that was his responsibility as the father to do that. Gives um, Tamar to the second son. Um, and we don't have to get into details of what the second son did there, but uh, essentially refused to... Um, to procreate. Imp- yeah, he refused to, to, to have a child with her. Yeah, yeah, to impregnate Tamar. And then uh, at that point, Judah just gets lazy and doesn't give Tamar to to the third son, essentially breaking a promise that he made. So uh, Tamar takes matters into her own hands, um, dresses as a prostitute, covers her face with a veil, so um, her identity is hidden, presents herself to to Judah, and Judah um, propositions her, um, has sex with her. She gets pregnant. At this point, he doesn't know it's her, obviously. She she sneaks out. Um, Three months later, he finds out, uh, oh, your your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant as a result of prostitution. <laughs> so, you know, the <laughs> self-righteousness in, in, in Judah says, well, let's burn her to death. Till <laughs> she essentially s- surprises him and says, no, you might not want to do that because I'm pregnant with your kid. Turns out they're twins. Um, and at that point, you know, I didn't mention this in the sermon, but it's that actually at that point where you see Judah do a 180. Um, and he says, man, you're Tamar, you're you're more righteous than I am. You know, basically, I'm I'm really the one at fault here, um, and it's that whole point where Judah does a 180 from that story onward, which is really cool to see in in the the context of the larger story of Genesis. I mean, it's just amazing how God worked through all of that. But yeah, so so Tamar is in Jesus's lineage, and that is a name that the Jews would have wanted to forget. Well, then I also think about how many times I've been Judah in my life where I'm not fulfilling my promises or, you know, I, I forget, um, the promises that I, that I give out. Um, but just that God in his grace, you know, um, he uses everything and, uh, he, he fulfills all of his promises and he keeps all of his promises. Yeah. And you used the word grace there. And Mm -hmm. I, I think if you had to boil all of this genealogy down to one word, it'd be grace. Yeah. Um, it's all grace people, the fact that people come from all the kinds of people that happen to come um, that lead to Jesus is simply a matter of God's sovereign grace, just as it's a matter of God's sovereign grace to uh, not only be included in the name that leads to Jesus, but to be included um, as a name that leads from Jesus is all a matter of God's sovereign grace. Amen. Another name that you that was in the lineage was Rahab. And this happens in the time of the conquests when the Israelites are coming into the land, and she lived in Jericho. Yep, during that time, uh, Rahab was uh, was Canaanite, you know, living in Jericho, and some spies, uh, some Jewish spies came to scout out Jericho, and uh, King of Jericho finds out there's some Jewish spies. Uh, they get wind that 
um, they were at her place. So she hides them, tells tells them, you know, get out of here. I'll, I'll protect you or whatever. And she, she lies to the king. Um, but then she says, hey, I, I believe in, in, in your God, by the way. When you guys come back, can you just... Uh, can you spare me? Can you save me? So she joins Israel's family. Yeah, she um, had faith that, that yeah. they were going to win. Yeah, she had faith that they were going to win because she had faith in their God. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you find out is um, Rahab is a prostitute. Um, so again, you have... That's kind of like her formal name. When the when she's listed back there, it's it's Rahab the prostitute. Yeah, Rahab the prostitute, exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, that, 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 uh, that title carries with her. Um, and, you know, not... I don't think it's a slight to her at all, but more so showing um, that, hey, these are the kinds of people that God includes in his family. Hmm. Another name that is fun to say was Zerubbabel. <laughs> Zerubbabel, if you look back in the book of Haggai, he was one of the ones responsible for rebuilding the temple. And we already know that Jesus is the son of David, which if you look at that lineage, Solomon Solomon built the first temple, and I find it uh, very interesting that Jesus is a descendant of the person who built the second temple. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good connection. Um, yeah, Zerubbabel, you know, he he was a he was a, a righteous man. He was responsible for leading um, people uh, in the return uh, from exile. He he restored some of the worship um, in Israel. Um, he was obedient to the Lord. So yeah. I, in, in many respects, he's, you know, a, a Christ-like figure before Christ. You know, mm-hmm. he just had those, those characteristics. So, so you know, it's, it's good to see that, you know, not only uh, is Jesus, um, you know, not, not only does Jesus come from, you know, the lowest of the lows as society would deem them, but even the best people, the, the holiest people uh, that are some that you see included in, in the genealogy showing that, Hey, everybody needs Christ because he came for the same kinds of people he came from. Mm-hmm. Some more famous names that might be considered infamous. We've talked a little bit about Judah, but Genesis 49, uh, his father, Israel, is promising uh, two of the whole family. So he's reading out the basically the, the inheritance for each of the sons. And when he comes to Judah, he says, "...the scepter shall not depart from Judah." And that, that is another one of those prophecies that is being made about where the descendant line of the Christ would come. Uh, one of those markers that, that the officials would have been looking for in, in this pedigree. But then there's also like four bad kings of the Davidic line that, that are listed there. Yeah, um, that's, and you see that... Uh, well, you see, you see the names of those in the second, you know, basically from... David down to the uh, exile and, and after the, the deportation too, you see a lot of these, the names of these, all these wicked Kings, um, again, showing that, uh, these Jesus comes from these people, but he's going to be quite a different King. He's not going to be like any of the Kings he descends from, um, though he came for all people like that. Yeah. And those are, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see all these, all these names, you know, it's so easy to skip through, like you mentioned, Marcus, to skip through a genealogy and, um, and to be like, all right, where's, where's the story? Because that's you know, where our culture, our, our context, um, we love story. We, we want narrative, but genealogies were just as important, um, to the Jews. Um, in fact, 
one of the things I didn't really get to communicate on uh, in the sermon, what's really fascinating too about uh, this this genealogy here. Um, remember, it's not it's not an exhaustive list. Um, that's not that wasn't the the intent of genealogies to to show an exhaustive list. But one of the things that Matthew does is he uh, employs what's called uh, gematria, um, and that's essentially the um, the, num the numbering system using uh, in, in Hebrew. They didn't have numbers, so they would identify numbers with each letter of their alphabet. Matthew's really making the case in this genealogy that Jesus is the son of David, because David that that's kind of like the prime person that that Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus descended from. So he reinforces that, you know, behind the scenes. And, um, you know, so you could call this numerology, and I'm not quick to use that term, um, but numerology has a place. The thing is, it gets abused today because it's often used to show things that are going on in modern times that were hidden prior to, and that's that was never the purpose. Um, any kind of numerology that the, that the Jews employed uh, in, in, in Hebrew especially was to reinforce something that has already been said. Yeah. So it wasn't to shed new revelation. Right. That was never the point of it. Um, so, but, but Matthew does that. What you see, it, he, he notice he has uh, the number 14. He says in verse 17, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and that's the first chunk of the genealogy. And then from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14. And that's a second chunk of, of genealogy. And then the third chunk, um, deportation uh, Babylon to Christ, 14. Um, so the whole idea there being there's some, Matthew's basically saying, hey, listen to the 14. So using that, that system you ha in the Hebrew alphabet, you have, the, and there weren't vowels, by the way. So you had our, our English equivalents would be David would have been spelled D-V-D, Dalit, Vav, uh, Dalit, which is the fourth letter, is Dalit, and then of the Hebrew alphabet, and then Vav is the, the sixth. So you have four. Ready, Caroline? I'm going to have you do some math. Oh, no. Four plus six mm -hmm. plus four is how many? Sixteen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Fourteen. Fourteen, right? So the 14 generations. So, again, Matthew's using that to signal, mm -hmm. hey, the fact that Jesus is here, he really is the son of David, this is really important. Listen, not to mention David is also the 14th name in the genealogical list. So that's a really cool thing when you actually see that picture and it's like you kind of are able to, to kind of uh, peer behind our English translations, if you will, and understand what Matthew's doing in the Hebrew there. And again, David is listed in there, but he's mentioned as under that sinful reason Solomon was born. And then we get down to verse 16, and we get to Joseph. It raises the question, okay, so this is this Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Whose genealogical line is this? Is this Joseph's line? Is this Mary's line? Now, we know from the Gospels that Joseph was of the house of David because they had to go to Bethlehem for the census. Joseph wasn't the birth father of Jesus, so why did Matthew write the genealogy to list Joseph? Yeah, so... If you go, if you read a little further into Matthew chapter 1, um, you know, that's because the next section in Matthew is the birth of Christ. And it talks about uh, Mary and Joseph there. And then when you get to the end of chapter 1, um, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. So what Matthew's saying is, hey, Joseph is of the the line of David also, and he even though he might he's not the biological father, we know the Holy Spirit conceived Christ. He is the adoptive father and legal father, which in that culture is just as legitimate. Um, and they even go so far to making Matthew goes so far to even making sure that hey, not only is uh, you know is Joseph the, the adoptive father, but he identifies Jesus as his son when he names him because that was a big thing naming your son and he called his name Jesus as it says there so Matthew or so Joseph is you know the legal adoptive father which was just as binding so there were big questions uh, that you wanted us to think about from the sermon on Sunday the question you you posed to us was what kind of king was Jesus the the three points that you had made was that Jesus is a promise keeping king Jesus is the bondage breaking king and Jesus is the sinner-redeeming king. So, thinking about that promise-keeping king, roughly how many prophecies has Jesus already fulfilled in his first coming? It depends if you're taking single independent prophecies um, or, you know, where a prophecy is um, kind of um, written or, or spoken differently in different contexts. But, you know, I, I've read one a rough estimate that there is you know, roughly a thousand different prophecies and, you know, Christ's first coming fulfilled half of them um, or, or a thousand prophecies, including even, you know, ones that have been repeated and Christ's first coming has fulfilled half of them um, and there are half yet to be fulfilled. And, you know, some of those yet to be fulfilled would have to do with um, Israel and the second coming of Christ um, and, you know, the tribulation, um, the millennial kingdom, uh, all the, those kinds of prophecies that are reiterated in several several places, both Old and New Testament. For, for, for Messiah, there's like 300 and over 300 um, specifically about Messiah that Christ fulfilled uh, with his first coming. And if you were to take um, just eight of those, just eight of those prophecies, the number is, the, 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 the statistician looked at that and said, well, it would be, that'd be one in 157 quadrillion. And the way to think about that is, you know, taking about, uh, if you were to take like half dollar sized coins or something like that, and you, you'd be able to, with that many, 157 quadrillion, you'd be able to cover the entire state of Texas, um, you know, two feet deep. Um, and then they're all silver, except there's going to be one red coin in there. So the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of them are the odds of you walking across Texas in two feet, uh, two feet worth of, of, of coins um, and then reaching down and pulling out um, randomly the one red, you know, coin, if you will. Um, that's just Christ fulfilling eight of them. And then I think it, it was, you know, Christ fulfilling like 40 of them is, you know, uh, one followed by like a hundred and some zeros. Like it's, it's just, it's absurd, the amount. Probability. And mathematicians would, with that many zeros, would just say there's, it's not probable. It's impossible. Um, hence, <laughs> the fact that, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, is really the Messiah. We can know. Yeah. We can really know beyond the shadow of a doubt um, that, that Christ is uh, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem to the line of David as the son of David and son of Abraham, born to the Virgin Mary, really is who he said he was. 
So the second point, that Jesus is a bondage-breaking king. Uh, you spend a lot of time in Isaiah with those. Uh, Isaiah has a lot of prophecies about uh, the Messiah. Uh, you mentioned chapter 61. In Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verse 1 in particular, it says, prophecy there is, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then we know in Luke's gospel, Jesus quotes that, and he's bas he quotes that because he's pointing to himself as, hey, that time is now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the one that Isaiah prophesied about. I'm the one who's the Lord's anointed one to bring good news to the poor. I'm the one who the Father has sent to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm the one who God has sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm the one who God has sent to open the prison doors to all who are bound. I'm the bondage-breaking king. And if I remember that story properly, that was not the, the section that was meant to be read that week in in the temple. In temple, right. In, in right. temple. <laughs> he, he took it upon himself to, to, to move the scroll a little bit and read... <laughs> read what he really needed to read right yeah <laughs> and then jesus is the sinner redeeming king you know we we've looked at his his genealogy and you know his family tree may have influenced how he approached people like the woman at the well mm. the woman that was caught in adultery even if those people weren't there he's the son of god and he would have shown them love but he has a direct connection to, to the people that, that are still caught in those sinful ways, right. that he could be even more compassionate about and, and look on them in a loving way and and, and be who he needed to be to them yeah. in, the, in those times. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's, absol that's absolutely true. And Caroline, I'm curious what your thoughts are, especially looking you know, at, the, at Matthew's genealogy. Um, Jewish genealogies didn't typically didn't include any women. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Matthew includes five. Um, I think part of that is showing the um, whole, um, the fact that the, king, that the kingdom of God is completely upside down to mm -hmm. the ways of the world. Um, but as a female, how, is, that, is that significant to you? Uh, why? I'm curious to hear your, your feedback on that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, the world, especially now, tries to say, you know, um, they try and look at the Bible and say, God doesn't care about women. But you see so clearly he does um, from the woman at the well. Um, there's just so many stories that you see God really does care about women. He cares um, just as much about women that he, than, he, than he does about men. Um you know, I'm thinking of Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. Matthew doesn't name her. Um, he says in verse 6, by the wife of Uriah. That's, you know, well, yeah, Solomon came by uh, with David and by the wife of Uriah. So he doesn't, he doesn't, Matthew doesn't name Bathsheba. Not as a slight to Bathsheba, but as a slam to David. And, you know, Marcus and I were chatting a bit about this on Sunday even though David is held up as Israel's greatest king, that Matthew's calling attention to David's greatest failure. Mm -hmm. um, and what he did when he saw Bathsheba bathing, you know, the wife of one of his good friends, one of his most loyal warriors, he lusted after her, and he sent you know, armed guards to go get her. And he slept with her. 
that's the PG way of saying it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the term for that today would, I think, would be what would be called power rape. You know, you he he was the king. She really wouldn't. She didn't have a choice in the matter anyway. Even if she uh, didn't want to, her saying no likely would not have stopped it anyway. So the fact that Matthew is showing right off the bat that hey, Jesus is the son of David, um, but he's greater than the son of David. And before you think David was all perfect and holy, let's re let's remember also his greatest failure. I tend to look at that and view that as God, as he's inspiring the, as the Holy Spirit is moving Matthew to write the words that he's writing, um, is very intentional uh, to make sure that uh, women know that, you know, Jesus didn't also come for sinners like David, mm -hmm. but for even victims of some of the worst um, abuse and, and whether it's sexual, emotional, physical, whatever. And historically, that has been uh, women and children. I'm thinking of um, when Hagar runs away from Sarai, um, from her mistreatment. And what, what's the Hebrew word? It's El, El Roy, the God who sees me. God who sees me. Yeah. yeah. And that always uh, struck out to me um, that even in those broken moments, um, you know, that we all have in life, that, that God still sees us and mm. he has a plan and a purpose. And I'm guilty of being one of those people that overlooks the genealogies. I'm like, oh, but there, there's a reason why these genealogies are there. Um, and I can't help but wonder the, the details and the stories of all those those people that obviously God doesn't go into the details. But as women, we, we like the details. And I can't help but think all the stories that go along with, with each of those, mm -hmm. um, you know, that he mentions in there. But yeah, the is God another... who sees me. As another insight to what Hagar was doing there, mm -hmm. she said that after encountering the pre-incarnate Christ, yeah, she was yeah. meeting with yep, the angel of the Lord. That yep. was that's right. That was you know the one to become Jesus, talking to her and reassuring her mm -hmm. that we see you, we know, and I'm going to bless you. Yep. Yep. And he he does because <laughs> mm -hmm. he much, fulfills his promises. Yeah, yep. Much much to the. Dismay of the Jews, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, any other points that didn't make the the sermon on Sunday? Uh, no, I, I was uh, I was able to to hit that. You know, it's that that numerology portion that I thought was um, was really fascinating. Um, that I didn't really get to to hit much on. Well, doing um, that in a in a big forum is probably wise to, to, to pull away and you explain why it gets taken out of context yeah, yeah and anytime that we take scripture out of context we're we're doing a, a great disservice yeah exactly and, you know, matthew had a very poetic way of explaining things uh, very similar to the creation story in genesis there's there's creative narrative in there and that helps us to connect to the story a little bit better. But again, yes, our English translations whitewash this beautiful story mm -hmm. because our language is very matter-of-fact and we don't hear it read to us in that format. Right. So to have, again, this is, uh, the the book would have been written and then read aloud to the people mm -hmm. and you 
to have an orator read this in the original probably would have sounded much more connected. And a good study Bible, I think, would you know would point will point out some of these things. Um, so definitely encourage anybody listening. Just make sure you have a have a good study Bible. Um, it does not take a degree in in Greek in order to. It doesn't. I mean, I, I stink at Greek. <laughs> uh, and I stink at Hebrew. Um, Couldn't tell. My, my lang- those languages, those language classes were the worst, and I still have two more to take with them. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it doesn't. It's a good, a good study Bible written by, uh, and I'd say a good study Bible written by a group of, a group of editors. Um, you know, so like a John MacArthur study Bible, something like that is good. Um, but I always encourage, you know, have something that's um, written by a group of people because you'll get a more balanced um, interpretation um, and oftentimes um, more accurate, you know, a good evangelical group of people. So like the ESV Study Bible, um, the um, Holman Christian Standard Bible, I think, has a has a good study Bible. Um, you know, they'll it will they'll note uh, some of these kinds of things that our English translations um, don't intentionally gloss over, but just as because it's a different language, um, you wouldn't see otherwise. So, and then obviously my, the big idea from the sermon um, was that the birth of the king is God's invitation to a new beginning. So hmm. for whoever listening, just if you need a new beginning, trust trust in Jesus. He's, he's your king. He's the promise keeping king. He's your truest and most trustworthy, uh, most faithful, most consistent king you could ever need he's your bondage breaking king whatever it is that you're entering into this christmas season with um, that keeps you up at night um, whatever that that bondage might be um, christ wants to give you freedom um, and he's the sinner redeeming king so don't think that you're too great of a sinner to not be included um, in in god's family anything else oh i was um you went into isaiah 9 a little bit too um, and yeah, yeah, and the sermon, which kind of stuck out to me because we were actually talking about it in our um, Truth Seekers Bible study on Tuesday night. So it's cool to see how God like pieces it all together, and um, just like what more can you ask for in a king? A wonderful counselor, mm-hmm. mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mm. You know, there's no earthly king that could fulfill all those roles. Yeah, yeah, and that's. That's uh, so that's really good, and for yeah, and I think that's also you know the my the theological part of my brain wants to say hey that's another thing that shows that Jesus is equal to the Father because Messiah is going to be called everlasting Father you don't call anybody Father unless it's Father God, right. um, but Christ you know, said you've seen the Father you've seen me I and the Father are one, and that's what got <laughs> one of the things that got him killed, um, but yeah that's a really good really good point Carol Ann, and by the way if anybody if any women are listening. Um, that might be interested in um, joining something like Truth Seekers. Can you give a little plug for that? Yeah, so we meet um, Tuesday nights um, at 7 p.m., typically on Zoom, um, but we do like to get together at least uh, one time a month for fellowship. But, yeah, Zoom just seems to be easier. A lot of the ladies are moms, so they're tucking in their kids. They have babies on their laps. Um but we do, we do try and, you know, get together and meet um, for fellowship and just prayer. And we're always, you know, connected throughout the day. We use group me to just uh, post prayer requests and stuff. So it's a really awesome group of ladies and we'd love to have you join us. And if someone is interested in joining, how would they go about that? 
I believe they could go right onto the Bayside app. Um, there should be the small groups section. Mm-hmm. Um, they could find it. It's Truth Seekers, and uh, Kim Russo leads it, and she just is so humble and such a great leader to our group. So Cool. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Next week, we are in the second gospel. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Pastor Dave will be talking again about Jesus as the Son of God. Thank you for your time today and joining us in this conversation. Thank you for joining us on the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. Next week, Pastor Dave continues with Mark chapter 1. Don't forget... December the 10th will be our night of worship. Thank you for your time and have a blessed week.